Hello dear friends, welcome to Spirit Life After Life, Life After Life. We are meeting here every Sunday night at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time from Northern California. My name is Sunshine Beck and we have been studying the cases in the second half of Heaven and Hell. The Spirit reports who give us and very intimate and real life um, perspective on what happens to us after we excarnate, after we leave our physical form behind. And Alan Kardec, in his very scientific and meticulous approach to studying the different cases, put them into different categories for us. And as I said, we have been focusing on suicides. Now, suicides are a little bit difficult for all of us to maybe understand, or perhaps because we have been looking at suicide ourselves, but it is ever so educational for us to understand why people are driven to suicide, what are the commonologies, and how to avoid it, and also to learn of what happens to those souls who ended their lives prematurely. There is a fantastic book which is called Memoirs of a Suicide which explains several souls and their path after their excarnation in greatest detail. Very educational, very gripping and very um, a good piece to read to nourish our soul, to educate ourselves. So dear friends, let us look at suicide. So are we allowed to take our lives? Alan Kardec was wondering about the same thing. So he asked that question in the Spirits book, his first book that, was, that he codified. And it is question 944, where he was wondering about that. And guess what the Spirits on High told him? They said, no. We do not have the right to take our lives. And who is allowed to take a life? Only God is allowed to take lives. And they actually, those spirits on high, actually call those who commit suicide insane individuals. So what do these souls have in common? Why are people committing suicide? Well, one aspect is lack of resignation. Lack of resignation and lack of submission of their will to God's will. What is resignation? We learn that in the Gospel According to Spiritism, the third book by Alan Kardec. And there it is being explained as the surrender of our hearts. So these souls have a hard time surrendering their hearts to God's will. And that is usually around pain, pain that is being experienced in their lives. The next thing that suicides often have in common is lack of faith. And we learn about that in the Gospel according to Spiritism, lack of faith. And another commonology is lack of courage. Le cœur is the heart. So they don't have the heart, and it's funny because the word resignation is also linked to the surrender of the heart. 
So it is linked to the heart to have courage to to have courage to look at themselves. And in the gospel, we learn that the highest form, most difficult form of courage that we practice in our lives is the courage to look at ourselves, to get to know ourselves, to work on our inner transformation. So friends, let us today, let us start with our new case. Nora Brazil, hello dear friends, so nice to see you. I see a number of friends um, attending, so please say hello so we can interact. Let us make this an interactive um, gathering. And please ask questions and add your comments. And I am more than happy to respond as long as I see it. Sometimes my phone is not all inconclusive. There's Nora Brazil and Soul Soza, dear friends. Thank you for joining. How, how lovely to have you. So today we will be studying Lewis and the Bootstitcher. Now, Lewis and the Bootstitcher, you will find in the book Heaven and Hell on page 404, and it falls in the category of suicides. So we're not going to read the whole entire case, but quite a bit of it. So let us begin. For even for seven or eight months, a cobbler named Louis G. wooed a young female bootstitcher named Victorine R., whom he was soon to marry. The wedding bands had already been published. Due to his state of affairs, these two young people considered themselves to be almost united for good. And for economic reasons, the cobbler came each day to have his meals with his bride-to-be. So that is the backdrop that we get invited to participate in their drama. So now let's see what happens. Louis came as usual one day to have supper at his fiancée's. They had a fight over some petty matter and with both holding stubbornly to their own opinions, things escalated to the point where Louis left the table and swore he would never return. Sound familiar? Sure, we've all been there, right? <laughs> Nevertheless, the next day he went to ask her for forgiveness. So this is important, forgiveness. Night is a good counselor, so the saying goes. But the girl believed that perhaps the scene from the night before might happen again after it was too late that the scene of hold on I, I switched the line but the girl believed that perhaps the scene from the night before might happen again after it was too late to remedy the evil she refused to reconcile so let us pause right here before that we start the next part of the story because now we'll see what happens what can be the effect of lack of forgiveness and why is forgiveness so important? We will see this in this case, one case, what can happen if we refuse to forgive? So in the gospel, we read that Jesus told us already that the sacrifice most pleasing to God is what? Is forgiving. And we should be forgiving 70 times seven, which really means there is never enough for us to forgive. We, there's always space to forgive each other more. It is vital that in our lives we take the opportunities to forgive each other. 
So the sacrifice most pleasing to God is forgiveness. In Simeon, a spirit in the gospel according to spiritism, tells us that forgiveness is because the Lord will forgive you. So we should forgive because then the Lord will forgive us. And equally and similarly, the Apostle Paul in the Gospel according to Spiritism teaches us forgiving one's enemies is to ask for forgiveness for oneself. And of course we know that in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, um, we ask for forgiveness so that we will be forgiven. So there's so many, there's three different cases that we're just mentioning now where as we give, we receive. And this is, this is a un, universal knowledge and wisdom in our lives. By giving, we receive. So we're asked to forgive so that we can be forgiven. Because we must always remember, even if we're not conscious of it, we have trespassed towards other people many, many times, whether we know it or not. So it would be really good if we went back over our lives, looking at the situations to see in what cases we're conscious of having caused some harm to somebody else so that we can go and apologize and at the same time forgive those who trespassed against ourselves. Because yes, we need forgiveness badly. So then we ask ourselves, what is true Christian forgiveness? How does that actually look like? Do you have a guess, dear friends? How does Christian forgiveness look like? Well, here we go. First of all, forgiveness casts a veil over the past. We can imagine that. That moment when we don't focus on the trespass anymore and we start forgetting it and forgiving it, a veil is being cast over it. Secondly, true forgiveness is more recognized by our actions than our words. Makes sense, right? So if we say, tell someone, for example, oh, I forgive you, but then we're either overtly or covertly cutting this person off, having less than kind thoughts, or maybe even talk badly behind their back, it is obvious that actions speak louder than words. And it is also important to see the others as immortal souls. And let us remember, everyone is a child of God. We're all brothers and sisters under one God. Again, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus invites us to see our Father, though art in heaven, he starts with our Father, which in itself is an invitation for us to realize and practice the universal brotherhood. So if we can manage to see the other as an immortal soul, as a child of God, it is much easier to forgive than getting hung up on this image sunshine with her glasses and her hair, her accent and so forth. If we get hung up on this image, on the character, it's much harder to forgive than looking beyond this facade and seeing sunshine as an immortal soul. If you have to forgive me for something. 
So then also in Paul and Stephen, the beautiful book by Emmanuel, Abigail and Paul, who has committed several murders, and he has a hard time along the way of surrendering his will to God's will. His beloved Abigail, who since died and came back as a spirit to him, invited him, gave him the remedy, the recipe for success to overcome his rare, but sometimes, yes, he had some moments of self-pity. And she said, she said to Saul, Saul, love always. Saul, love always. Work constantly. Hope in the future and forgive the trespasses of others. Actually, she says, forgive the incomprehension of others. And lastly, we know that the spirits on high define charity as what? Three different components. Benevolence towards all. Um, benevolence towards all. Indulgence towards other people's incomprehension. And forgiveness. So by forgiving, we're actually practicing charity. So friends, we, we're starting to see that forgiveness is vital. And this is just a few little aspects. There is so much more. And the literature, the Spiritist literature gives us a beautiful insight and repeats in every single book the importance of forgiveness. Let me see that more friends have have joined. There is, yeah, I don't see names, but I see quite a large number. So friends, please say hi. It's more fun that way. So let us go back to our friends here. So um, Victorine was incapable of forgiving her fiance. Now let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. So he decided to make one last attempt at reconciliation. When he arrived at her home the next day, he knocked in a way that let her know it was him. But she refused to open the door. Renewed appeals on the part of the poor young man and protests made through the door failed to touch the heart of his pitiless fiance. Friends, farewell then, cruel girl, he said. Farewell forever. Just try to find a husband who loves you as much as I do. The girl then heard a muffled groan, soon followed by a thud, as if an object had fallen, sliding against the door. Afterwards, all was silent. She thought that Louis had sat down on the doorsteps to wait for her to leave, and so she decided not to go out while he was still there. Around 15 minutes later, let's see what happens. Another tenant carrying a lantern came upon the scene and let out a scream crying for help. Neighbors rushed over and Miss Victorine also opened her door. She let out a cry of horror at seeing her fiancé stretched out on the floor, pale and lifeless. Everyone hastened to help him, but it soon became clear that it was all of no use, that he was dead. The poor young man had buried a knife in his heart and it remained sticking in the wound. Oh dear, he committed suicide. So this is an immediate step 
of lack of forgiveness. However, of course, it's not all her fault because he decided to take this ball and run with it and take his life. So in the Parisian Spiritist Society in August of 1853, um, the Spirit St. Louis was asked the following question by the group. As the unintentional cause of her lover's death, was the young woman at all responsible for it? Let us see. So does Victorine carry any responsibility in her fiancé's taking his life? And the answer is yes, she does, because she didn't actually love him to begin with. So this is interesting. It is interesting to see that cases are never black and white. They're never clear cut. It's always more complicated, right friends? We're seeing here that indirectly by her actions and not loving him, but maybe pretending to love him to a certain degree, she actually created a fault for herself. She made herself responsible, co-responsible. So this is something for us to look at. To what degree, how are we dealing within our relationships with people? To make sure that we are not making ourselves guilty in any form or shape for repercussions for things that then happen as a result of our thinking, our talking, our speech, and our actions, or the lack thereof. In this case, she was not really loving him, and she wasn't forthright with it. So let us see what continues. Then, in order to have prevented this unfortunate event, should she have married him in spite of her repugnance? This is another question for the Spirit St. Louis. Guess what the answer is? So should she have married him anyway? And the answer is she was looking for an excuse to break up with him. She did towards the beginning of the relationship what she would have done later anyway. So it was an excuse which then led to him killing himself. Then in that case, did her responsibility result from her having fed sentiments that she herself did not share and which eventually resulted in the young man's suicide? And the answer is yes, precisely. So it was because she fed sentiments of love in him that she created guilt for herself. It made her co-responsible. So we're hoping that we have not done anything similar. May it have led to suicide or not in the other person. It still would have caused harm. And that's where, as we talked earlier, forgiveness would have had to come in. So there's a lot for us to look at in our own actions. So then the next question is, her responsibility in this case should then be in proportion to her wrong and thus not as great as if she had willingly provoked his death. And that is obviously because ultimately she did not go into this relationship saying, oh, I'm going to cause harm in this relationship. I'm going to make sure that this and this is going to happen and he's going to kill himself. She wasn't looking for him to kill himself. It was a side effect. So it was not conscious. Her action word wasn't conscious. So that gives her 
a sort of remedy in her guilt, in her responsibility. Is Louis's suicide excusable due to the torment into which Victorine's stubbornness plunged him? So now the um, Parisian society is, is asking Louis, wondering, now what about Louis? Does he have some mitigating circumstances because of the torment that Victorine um, exposed him to? Let us see. And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. Because a suicide out of love is less criminal in God's eyes than a suicide, suicide of someone who wants to be freed from life for cowardly reasons. And a lot of suicides are happening because people do not like their lives and they find it difficult to painful and that is when they take their lives and those reasons are lack of courage we earlier said that that is one of the common threats of many many suicides lack of courage which translates into cowardice now let us pause here for a moment and let us look at courage a little bit more at cowardice so when we go back to the um, beautiful book memoirs of a suicide by Yvonne Pereira, and the um, spirit is Candido Botello. His real name is Branco, but he goes under the pen name of Botello. So there we learn that cowardice is called the Hydra that pulls humans on earth into the abyss. So you can see it's a hydra, which means it's dangerous. It's one of those temptations that we are exposed to on planet Earth to be cowardly. We need to have courage, courage to face our lives, courage to face our own uh, character defects, so to speak, our own incomprehension. We need to work on our inner transformation we need to surrender ourselves to God's will and never ever forget that Jesus taught us in one of his Beatitudes that blessed are the afflicted for they shall be comforted for they shall draw closer to God. So if we see our suffering, our pain, our perceived lack as a blessing in disguise that is actually helping our own soul grows, helping us to perfect ourselves, helping us to undo past wrongs, expunging um, ignorant, ignorant acts from previous lives or from previous times in our current life. At that moment, we can surrender to the situation, work with it and use it for our own soul growth, friends. That is the invitation but to never, ever, ever take our lives. We see how difficult. We're not gaining anything by taking our lives. We're actually adding more debt onto our, onto our um, shuffle, our shovel, I wanted to say, into our lives. We're creating more debt for ourselves. So courage is a glorious testimony to the will we also learn in Memoirs of a Suicide. So courage is a glorious testimony to the will, to patience and to moral bravery, 
all of which is necessary for spiritual progress. So let us look at that again. So we need courage. We need a strong will, hopefully goodwill, which is part of charity. We need patience and moral bravery. And all of this is our recipe for success, for our spiritual progress. Jesus in the Home, the beautiful book, um, where we, it's by Neo Lucio, by the Spirit Neo Lucio, we learn so much about Jesus. Jesus' teachings, who Jesus was during his days that he was alive on planet Earth, how he helped his disciples, his nonverbal lessons. It is a fantastic book to bring Jesus into our homes, into our hearts and our minds. And there is one story called The Forgotten Gift. And guess what the forgotten gift is? It is courage, friends. So here we go. Courage is something we need to nourish and nurture in our lives and practice in our lives. In another really wonderful book that brings Jesus to into our hearts and homes and our minds is Buonova called Good News, which is not yet published in English. And there in chapter 8, Jesus tells Bartolomeo, there are trademarks of those following Jesus. And what are they, friends? What are those trademarks of those who follow Jesus? And those are the trademarks that hopefully we make our own as well if we want to follow Jesus and work on our inner transformation. And what are those trademarks? Number one, hope. Number two, courage. And number three, joy. And it could be number one, joy. Number two, courage. And number three, hope. It doesn't matter what sequence it is. It is just the fact that these three ingredients, hope, courage, and joy are the trademarks of those who follow Jesus. You see, friends, courage is part of it. How important it is. Courage is part of it. So, okay, let us move on. We have a few more lessons to learn here from this beautiful case. So later on, Lewis is evoked. And the first question that Lewis is being asked is, what do you think about what you did? So, Louis, what do you think about what you did? And he says, Victorine was an ingrate and I was wrong in committing suicide because of her. She wasn't worth it. So already he has learned, he has gotten perspective. She didn't love you then, the next question is? And he says, no. At first she thought she did. She had thought she had that illusion. However, the scene I caused opened her eyes and she was happy at having found a pretext to get rid of me. And you did, and you, did you love her sincerely? The, um, the invoker is wondering and Louis answers, only out of passion. That is all. Uh, if my love had been pure, I wouldn't have wanted to cause her any grief. Wow. So let us pause again and let us look at passions. Passions is something that 
another it's another hydra it's something else a temptation that is in our court every single day now we're asking and Ellen Kardec asked that question for ourselves are passions always evil are they in other words are they always an expression of ignorance and we're going to question 907 in the spirits book let us go here real quickly because this is important passions is something that we express feel and have every single day of our lives so are since the principle of our passions originates in nature, are they evil per se? So are passions evil per se? Are they an expression of ignorance? Evil is really just ignorance. And the answer is no. Passion is the result of excess brought about by the will. So if we employ an uneducated will, it lets the passions go wild. Though the principle itself was given to humans for their good, the passions can lead them to do great things. The abuse of them is what makes them evil. So if we are not, if we didn't have any passion, we wouldn't be able to do the good either. But doing the good, using the, our passions to do the good is based on an educated will, is on educating our will. However, if we let it go rampant and we don't educate ourselves then the passions might lead to much drinking too much watching tv too much of anything shopping whatever it may be that harms us and others in the next question 908 yeah 908 alan kardec now asks how many how may we define the limit at which the passions cease to be good or bad so how do we know whether we're still within the margin of positive, using the passions positively for the good, or where is it tipping towards doing harm? And the answer is, which is beautiful, it's a very wonderful picture, we, I'm sure we can remember easily. The passions are like a horse that is useful when controlled, but dangerous when it does the controlling. So again, passions need to be trained like a horse, like be harnessed like a horse. And then passion can be a wonderful thing. We can do so much good and help others so beautifully when we're passionately in the direction of doing the good. Every passion we learn that brings us nearer to the animal nature takes us further from the spiritual nature. Every sentiment that lifts us above the animal nature announces the predominance of spirit over matter and draws us closer to perfection. So what our friend Lewis did, he used his probably sexual passion and thought it was love. And that is something that we on planet Earth are likely to do. It's easily done that we surrender to the more animalistic, to the lower vibrations, to the lower parts of our being. And we think that that is love, or we think that's good, but then later on, we, we find out it wasn't. And sometimes it takes a long time for us to figure it out. In this case, that fight and her lack of forgiveness woke him up, and of course then him consequently taking his life unfortunately 
woke him up to the fact he surrendered to the lower aspects of the passions so let's see so so this these are all things for us to remember and to to observe in our own lives to look to it's important that we're not just studying and listening to to these chapters and reading them but that we reflect it back on us it's like how much courage do we display in our lives? How much forgiveness are we capable of? How much have we learned to harness our passions towards doing the good versus surrendering to the more animalistic nature of ourselves? So those are the questions that we invited tonight to take into our hearts and minds and meditate on in the week to come. So let us wrap up and see what's happening next. When you knocked on the door, Lois, did you have the idea to kill yourself in case of rejection? So now the group wants to know whether it was a premeditated um, um, suicide. And the answer is no, I didn't. I hadn't even thought of it. I didn't think she would still be so obstinate. It was only when I saw her stubbornness that I lost my mind. Losing his mind, what is that? Passion. Again, it's the lower nature. It is not pausing, using the prefrontal cortex, creating an observer and looking at what is actually going on. It is surrendering to that passion of feeling heard and being prideful and selfish, these are all part of uneducated passions. And he fell prey to that. It seems like you don't regret your suicide except for the fact that Victorine wasn't worth it. Is that the only feeling you have? And the answer is, for now it is. I'm still totally confused. It seems like I'm still at the door but I'm feeling something else I can't quite figure out yet. So of course, this is fairly recent after his suicide. And of course he is still confused. His peri-spirit is still connected to his body. Most likely he is still by the door. That's where his body, where it actually happened. And so of course he doesn't have the full picture yet. Will you be able to figure it out later? <laughs> what a question. He says, yes, when my mind clears up. What I did was wrong. So he has that perspective already. I should have left her alone. I was weak and am now suffering the consequences of my weakness. The law of cause and effect. Weakness is linked to lack of courage. It's a form of cowardice again. And he also says, mind you, passion blinds a man and makes him do stupid things. And he only realizes it when it's too late. And he reminds us one more time that he was passionate and did not deal with it responsibly. He surrendered to his uneducated passions. So you said you had one regret. What is it? Now, friends, do you remember that all the spirits starting with the suffering, the, the mediocre spirits, the ones that are neither good nor bad, the suffering spirits, and of course the suicides, all have regrets. 
except for the happy spirits. And that is because they did not really use the beautiful gift of the incarnation to do the good, to learn the lessons that we are here to learn, that we are meeting for every Sunday night to learn from the mistakes of those who've come before us. So what is his regret? I was wrong to have shortened my life. I shouldn't have done it. I should have endured it instead of ending it all, ending it before the proper time. And now afterward, I'm unhappy. I'm suffering and it's always Victorine who makes me suffer. I seem to still be there at the door, the ingrate. Don't talk to me anymore about this. I don't want to think about it. It makes me feel really bad. Goodbye. If you are inclined, or maybe you've read the book, The Memoirs of a Suicide, which is a really thick book. I have it here somewhere. I don't see it. Maybe I don't have it here. It goes into such great detail of all the stages of suicides, the regrets, the feelings. I might, it's so interesting. I warmly recommend it. When we've read this book and maybe even studied or read it several times, we understand better how wrong it is. We're not gaining anything by committing suicide, ever. We're making everything much worse. So here's the small print. This case, once again, so this is the explanation <clears throat> by Alan Carter. This case, once again, is a further proof of the justice that presides over the distribution of so-called punishment according to the degree of responsibility of the guilty party. So what is he saying? Once again, we learn about the law of cause and effect, which is really the punishment is just the effect of our actions. When we do something, we will have to endure the consequences, which is the so-called punishment that this book that's over 150 years ago, they used those terms back then. Today, we don't like that word so much anymore. But it's consequence, it's the effect. And the beautiful thing is that there's always justice. We've seen that, that um, Victorine is also guilty. So we also see that Lewis, even though he seemed at first to be the victim of her action, is very much guilty since he surrendered to his lower passions. So divine justice takes so much into consideration before the consequences are coming into effect, so to speak. We can trust that and that gives us peace. That gives us peace and we rest in the fact that there is divine justice. We do not, we weren't born judges. We were born to work in our inner transformation and do the good, to seek the good, to feel the good, to visualize the good, and to mold the good with all the resources we can muster. That is our work. Divine justice takes care of everything else. Then he says, here, the first wrong is perpetrated by the young woman for having nourished in Lois a love she did not share. So that was the first mistake. Thus, she bears the greatest part of the responsibility. Interesting, right? 
As for the young man, he's being punished, consequenced, by the suffering he endures. However, his punishment is lighter because he did nothing more than give in to a thoughtless impulse and a moment of excitement rather than to the cool premeditation of those who commit suicide in order to evade the trials of life, which is the utmost expression of cowardice. So the suicide which carries the heaviest burden is the one of copping out of um, enduring the pain that we may encounter in our lives. It is evading the trials of our lives. He did not do that. But he nevertheless surrendered to his lower passions, which makes him guilty, and he will suffer for it. So let us summarize, dear friends. Let us summarize what we've learned today. So the first one was lack of forgiveness. We need to forgive. We learn it already in the definition of charity. So forgiveness is vital in our lives. And let us look. We're taking this into our week and months to come. We're starting off the new year with seeing where we need to forgive others and where we need to ask for forgiveness. Because we need to remember that we can only be forgiven to the degree that we forgive. What did Gandhi say? Gandhi said, uh, forgiveness, what was it? I had it here somewhere. It's like drinking poison and thinking that the other one dies. Lack of forgiveness. Um, I can't remember now. I don't know where it is. But we don't want to drink the, the, the poison of lack of forgiveness. It hurts us most and foremost. The next one which we learned was cowardice. We need to be courageous. Courageous in everything that we encounter in our lives that does not always go our way. That may be sickness, there may be loss of, of, of fortune, loss of, of love, loss of, of loved ones. It can, may come in many different forms. But it is important to know that we are blessed it is our opportunity when we're suffering to undo past wrongs. There is divine justice and it is always merciful. So it's very important for us to remember. And then we learned that the passions, we were born with them and that they're a good thing as long as we educate our will and we harness passions like a wild horse and turn them towards goodness. Leon Denis, after death, teaches us that pain in its multiple aspects is the supreme remedy for the infirmities and imperfections of our souls. So pain is an important aspect of our inner transformation on this planet in our current consciousness. So it is something that we are invited to open our hearts and minds to. Without pain, there is no salvation, he says. We also know that there is different types of pain. And um, there's the pain that helps us avoid pitfalls, like touching a hot oven, for example. And then there is the evolutionary pain. That's the pain that comes from the outside in. It's like when I buy a new computer 
and I can't deal with it because I'm not very good at computers. <laughs> That's evolutionary pain. It comes on the outside via a computer. I'm trying, I'm ready. I'm, I guess God thinks I'm ready to graduate from my current level of knowledge about computers. So now I'm invited to stretch, to learn, to, to, to take the next step in my evolution. This is just one example. And the third type of pain is the expiatory pain, the pain that is linked to expiation. And that is the pain that Jesus reminded us of when he said, blessed are the afflicted, because that is when we draw closer. That is our invitation to undo past wrongs, to surrender, to love it, and to be always hopeful, because hope is divine spark. It is, it propels us towards progress. Dear friends, let us close our meeting for tonight and let us close our eyes if we can and let us connect with God and our beloved Jesus, guide and model and Mother Mary, Ellen Kardec for his beautiful service, the spirits that we studied tonight who were gracious enough to report back to us of the experience so we can glean lessons from their actions, lessons to avoid pitfalls in our own lives. Let us also thank our mentors, the mentors of this group and the mentors of Cardiac Radio, which so graciously allow us to gather every Sunday night to nourish our souls, to educate our will, to open our hearts and minds to new lessons that help us in our inner transformation and remind us always to visualize the good, to seek the good, and to feel the good with all the resources we have. And with this, we humbly ask for permission to close tonight's gathering. And so be it, dear friends. Thank you so much for Melissa. Thank you so much for um, joining. And Lisa, Lisa Telly, Sosoza. And there's so many more next time. I hope I'll see your names too. God bless you and God willing, we will meet again next Sunday, same time, same place. Good night. <laughs>